much every time before I teach. I, uh, I have this sentiment, why am I doing this? <laughs> I really don't actually like talking that much. I'm a total introvert. <laughs> I hide a lot. And yet here I am, I expose myself continually <laughs> to being in the public eye. And I ask myself that question and then I sit with myself for a little bit longer and the answer is always because I believe in this practice so much. And this practice has changed my life so much that I'm willing to completely abuse myself <laughs> for it. <laughs> I think it's worth it. it. feels like a good life of service. So I'm honored to... Um, yeah, to sit here with you and just share some of the things that have mattered to me that have been useful for me. Um, they're going to be specific and hopefully helpful. I don't know what your day has been like, but I had the privilege to meet some of you um, and hear a little bit of what's going on for you. And so just to normalize day two of a retreat, um, how many times I'm ready to leave on day two, how many times I feel frustrated and my money could have been so much better spent somewhere else, <laughs> so much more fun. Maybe there was even like tequila involved or like just something better than this, right? <laughs> Why did I do this? I've had some of those retreats, right, where there's just so much doubt and so much, um, you know, confusion around what I was doing. And then I've also had many retreats where I felt like there's nothing else and nowhere else I'd rather be. And everybody should do this and this is the only thing that exists. And yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so it's an interesting thing to pay attention to where we put our energy, you know, where we, um, where we decide we're going to move and groove and who we're going to hang out with and what we're going to do and what we're going to support. Um, and how that makes a difference in our lives. How what we do, how where we put our energy actually has an outcome and makes a difference. And so that's what I want to I want to talk about tonight, um, and it's it's sort of character categorized in the um, eightfold path, which I want to give a little bit of contextualization to. It's categorized in the eightfold path as something called wise or right effort. Um, and so. There is this, I'm not quite sure what, we're looking at this person, right? Or this, this image, this effigy um, that we're calling the Buddha. Um, the Buddha, that word means the one who's awake, the awakened one. And this person lived on this planet 2,600 years ago is not a god or a floating 
uninhabited body, but somebody who actually walked on this planet, as far as we know, as far as the historians and the academics and the scholars tell us, and um, walked in a way that gave up and renounced and discarded the traditional ideas of what brought somebody joy in their time. And they're probably not that much different from, from us. Somebody who was born um, apparently as a wealthy landowner, some say a prince, um, but we do know there was a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of um, access. And so the Buddha was somebody who had everything, had money, power, fame, all of it. Lots of hedonism, as you can imagine. Um, It's said that his father wanted him to be really happy, so gave him everything he wanted. Lots of, plenty of women, plenty of wine, plenty of dance, plenty of leisure. And this this being said, you know what? I don't know. It's kind of cool, but it's not working for me totally. It feels pretty hollow. It feels pretty shallow. Um, What now? And so without going through the whole story, because there's more I want to say, um, basically jumped the fence, basically jumped the kingdom wall and left and said, I, I have to figure out where true happiness lies. True happiness does not seem to lie in getting everything I want. And you all, and I know I was born into a time where um, we are pretty much told that if you get stuff, you should be happy, right? Right? If you get the big house, the nice car, the right partner, the right job, the right amount of money, like that's when you should be happy. And so we spend our whole life leaning into and striving for that. And as we've seen, or if, if you read the news at all, if you're anywhere involved in um, watching what's going on, we've seen so many people that have power and money that actually aren't happy right, that cause harm to themselves, maybe to the end of their lives, or that just the greed is so overwhelming that um, they stop seeing other people, right? And so we're exposed to that. We're exposed to that. And so this this guy, Siddhartha Gautama at the time, was his name before he was called the Buddha, um, decided to jump jump the wall and go see what else there was. Um, And went completely in the other direction, completely renounced everything to the point almost of death, like renounced food, renounced all creature comforts completely and said, wait a minute, this isn't it either. The point is not for me to die, right? The point is not for me to um, be so weak I cannot even feel life. So decided to go sit under the Bodhi tree, it said, which I've, I've since learned is a ficus. And I, it's so cool because I have a ton of ficus around my house. So I'm like, yeah, I could sit <laughs> under any of these trees. <laughs> and sat under that, those tree, that tree and sat long enough to really awaken to what we call the, tr- the truth of the truth, capital T truth of existence, which was this middle path. 
So not getting it all and being miserable and having it all and finding it hollow and also not renouncing it all. But what's in the middle? What, what lies in the middle? Can you relate to this? Do, do any of you have like, some of you are probably in college, maybe getting graduate degrees, maybe just embarking on new careers. And, you know, we can really watch how that sort of striving for success can really take up a lot of our energy and run our lives, right? Would that be fair to say? Some of you have that experience? Or maybe family pressure or, you know, just peer pressure, how we're supposed to be, how we should show up. And so this awakening that occurred, that, are, that happened, there's a lot of clarity. There's just like a lot of pragmatic, clear seeing that this, this guy had. And I'm a pragmatist. Like, I, you know, I'm not super mushy. I'm not sentimental. I'm not somebody who, like, for me, the Brahma Viharas, okay, fine, cool. I'll do them because someone told me they were a good thing to do, right? Like, it's not necessarily where I land. Now now I've cultivated them, which is great, and I'll talk about that more. But for me, like, I really wanted the rubber to hit the road. I wanted somebody to tell me that if I did something, it was going to (laughs) work. That's what I needed. Like I was in that kind of suffering. I was in that kind of place where I was like, no, no, no. I, I, I'm not all about the fluffy, fluffy, flowery stuff. Like, tell me what to do. And I want to I wanna see an outcome. And so when I came to Buddhism, I was like, dang, this is some hardcore science. This is good. It's sort of like, yeah, it, this is real. One plus two equals three, right? I don't have to believe in something. I don't have to give up something. I just have to sit my ass down and check out what's happening. And I can see for myself what's true. I can see one plus two equals three mean, means, okay, if I pay attention to this, And if I give all my energy to that, this is what's going to happen. So I'm just giving a formula now. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. But I, I really needed to see that what I was doing mattered. That my coming on a retreat was not a waste of my time. That my practicing and sitting on a cushion every morning was not a waste of my time. And so one of the things that happened when this Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha had his awakening, their awakening. We like to say we're not really sure. Maybe the gender is a little more fluid. Um, But when that awakening happened, a very clear path was laid out. And it was this path that made sense. So this path, it's called the Noble, the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path. And this path has three distinct parts. And I'm not going get, to get super you know, into each part, but I want to name them because what, what I'm eventually going to talk about, if I stop blabbing, 
um, is one of those path factors. So this, this Eightfold Path has three distinct parts. And what the, one of the parts is wisdom, which we call panya. Another part is ethics, or our sila practice. And then the other part is our samadhi, or our mindfulness, our internal meditative concentration practice. And all three of them are totally and completely intertwined and dependent upon each other. So the, the first two talk about how we see clearly, how we see things as they truly are, how we look at things, how our eyes are open, how we know that cause equals effect, how we know that there are natural laws. Um, oh, this is going to be a big loud one, but how we know that there are natural laws that if I open my hand, what's going to happen? Can we pretty much all vote yay on what's going to happen? Consensus, it's going to (laughs) fall. Right? Okay, I'm going to do it again. Okay, I'm a really spiritual person. I'm super good. I do all the right things. Maybe, just maybe, I can make it not happen. And what's going to happen? I'm going to open my hand, and it's going to fall. Right? There are some things that are just true. <laughs> this is just true. Like I could do it 5,000 times and there's never a time that it's not going to happen. <laughs> right? And you can spend your whole life fighting that. You could do that. And who would you be? You'd be a really aggravated, angry person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I know I'm just being stupid now, but it's <laughs> it's fun. And so there are these like there there are these truths. One of the truths is that this body is going to age. This body is going to get sick. This body is going to die. Right? These are just truths. No matter how cool, good, rich powerful, whatever we are, that is not not going to happen, right? We're going to come into contact with who has come into contact with not getting what they want. (laughs) Who has come into contact with getting what you don't want? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, let's talk after this because I just want to be your friend, right? Like I just want to hang out with you. So these are just true. I mean, and I could name all kinds of things that are true, and especially like laws of nature. You know, if we look at time, if we look at sound, if we look at um, DNA and genetics, you know, like I spent a lot of time as a young person going, I wish my hair wasn't so nappy. I wish my hair wasn't so nappy, you know? And like... What the, what the Buddha was pointing to was, ooh, ah, look, check this out. What would happen if we stopped resisting that which is true? Right? What would happen then? Yeah. It's kind of big, actually. This is where I found my freedom. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to 
I can no longer, nor do I have to fight that which is true. Cool, relief. (laughs) So that's one of the first parts of this Eightfold Path, like just really seeing the truth of existence. And then the, the next part is, how do I interact? How do I behave? How do I show up relationally in the world? When we came on this retreat, we took these precepts. We took the five precepts, which is checking out, like, how do I not cause harm to another living being? Yeah, check that out. What does that feel like? Ah. What does it feel like not to have to take something? What does it feel like to be wise and careful with my sexuality, to not cause harm with my speech? to not need to numb or intoxicate myself. Like, what if I showed up relationally totally clean, you know, where I wasn't living apologetically all the time, where I didn't have to wake up and go, uh, who do I have to apologize to? What lie do I have to clean up? Like, you know, where do I, where do I have to look? So these precepts really help us align with, our ethical practice really helps us align with just clarity. Okay, so I, I know clearly what is true. I know that if I show up relationally in a wise way that's not causing harm, I can have integrity I can, have, I can hold my head high, right? We know what it feels like when we can't hold our head high, when we've done wrong, when we've hurt somebody, when we've hurt ourselves. Shame, grief, guilt. Like, we know how that burdens us. So that's the second piece of this Eightfold Path. And then the third piece of the Eightfold Path is our internal work. Right, so we're looking at the truth of the truth of reality, the big picture, yeah, truth of natural laws. Then we're looking at the relational aspects, how we are here. And then, okay, what, what's going on inside? That's the third part of the path. We're looking at right mindfulness, right concentration, right effort, wise effort. And so that's the work we're doing on this retreat. We're looking at this inner work. We're looking at what am I doing here, but it's not exclusive from, it is not separate from those other two path factors. This is not only about us as individuals on this cushion only. We're doing this work so that we can engage in the other parts of the Eightfold Path, which are about others and are about understanding the truth of existence. Does that make sense? Does that sound right? It's a, it's, a, it's a really beautiful picture, actually. Again, it goes back to my pragmatic mind that, okay, cool, I have some jurisdiction here. Like, there's something I can do here. It's not totally out of my control. This inner part, this part, this third part of the path, the samadhi part, I can really work on that so that I know how to engage skillfully with those other two aspects of the path. So this right effort, 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 effort. (laughs) Some of you might have felt that um, efforting today. 
And that word is often looked at as enthusiasm or energy or drive or determination. There's lots of different ways to look at the word energy. And energy is interesting, right? Because where we put our energy matters. And some of you here, I mean, I wish I could ask each of you right now individually where you're putting your energy. Like today, where did you find yourself putting your energy? Were you focused on, what the fuck did I come here for, right? And then like there's this, this tension, like all my energy is into this resistance of how, oh, ah, hating this. And then everything that happened, we somehow, our energy went into hating more. <laughs> or maybe if it was like, this was the best idea I've ever had. I'm so glad I'm here. You know, we watch then our next moment be created by wherever our energy is placed. Right? So just a little bit of a reflection. Where have you placed your energy today? Not as a judgment, but just as a reflection. Oh, no big surprise if I placed all my energy on not liking. Okay then it would make sense that my moments, my next moment would look like not liking. So when we're looking at something like right effort, so um, right effort is, you know, really pointing towards how we balance our energy so that we can give appropriately to whatever task it is that we're doing. So while we're here, that task is working on our inner life, our meditation, our concentration, right? That's what we're doing here. But that doesn't mean that it's not excluded to or only about this retreat. And we can talk about that later. But for now, um, let's talk about right effort. Right effort, how you're applying your effort while you're here. And so effort consists of four initiatives, basically. And the words that are used traditionally um, are to prevent the arising of unwholesome states, to abandon unwholesome states that have already arisen, to arouse wholesome states that have not arisen, and then to maintain and perfect wholesome states already arisen. And so I just want, I want to get into that a little bit. Part of me, so, so I like to break it down. For me, what's helpful and how I use my practice in this is prevent, abandon, cultivate, maintain. Is there a, wait, what's that? What's that thing when you put letters? Acronym. Prevent, abandon, cultivate, maintain. Pac-Man. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Pack'em, Pack'em. Yeah. And so instead of using the word wholesome, I'm going to, just for me, like helpful or unhelpful really works. You know, it works better for me. So, so let's look at prevention. Let's look at what is unwholesome that we are preventing. And in the... In the meetings today, it was, it was really great because, I mean, and I don't mean to use you as, uh, as stereotypes, 
but <laughs> the 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 meetings today were really kind of perfect for day two of a retreat. So there was a lot of sleepiness. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of restlessness and worry and concern. In my groups, I didn't hear so much, so much desire happening. But one of the things that we're looking at preventing or working on or seeing clearly are these things that we call the hindrances. Right? They're these really really normal, totally normal things that arise for us that block us from being able to have that first path factor of seeing clearly. So they are desire. They are aversion. They are sloth and torpor. They are restlessness and they are doubt. Right, so when we, when we talk about those, which are, those things which are not helpful, we're usually pointing to these typical, who here has felt like they've had a lot of desire while they've been here? The desire, God, I wish I could have my favorite latte this morning and everything would just be better if I did. If only I had my phone, if I could check the, what was going on, if only I could that, 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 then, it, then this retreat would be cool, right? If only, if only is one of the hindrances. It's the desire hindrance, if only. And then who had the, God, I hate this. This is terrible. That person's so annoying. If only that didn't happen, right? Then I would be fine on this retreat. Why is it, why is the weather like this? Why is the air conditioning like this? Why is that teacher like this? Why is the food like this? Right, right, just like, why is the bed? Why is that, right, the, the version? <laughs> why the bell, why did the bell ring the bell like that? Why is the, all of it, all of it. Why are we in a circle? Why are the candles that low? Why, like, you could just look around and be like, I, ugh, all of it, annoying, right? Aversion. Aversion. And then if, God, if only I wasn't so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so busy all the time. Uh, all I want to do is fall asleep. Why are they making me sit still? It makes me want to sleep more. If I close my eyes one more time, I'm going to have to fall asleep. I'm going to fall asleep. If only they let me lay down, that'd be so good, right? I'm going to go to bed early, sleepy, tired. And so that happens in the body. It happens in the mind, sloth and torpor totally real it happens and then there's a restlessness you know I'd really like to go for a run oh my god it'd be so amazing if we did like really intense yoga on this retreat and like (laughs) I just need to get my energy out if I could return those emails then I'd be you know then I could settle like all this thinking worrying going forward planning gotta do it gotta get it done oh yeah when I leave here I'm gonna right how often have you done that? When I leave here, I'm gonna. And so like, we got to make these lists. If only their pieces of paper were bigger because I need to make a longer list about all the things I'm going to do when I leave here, right? So like all this forward thinking, restlessness, worry. And then finally, there's the doubt. I always have a hard time talking about doubt without cussing. Like, what is this bullshit? Why? Why? This makes no sense. And so you'll notice, if you look at that statue of the Buddha, I don't know if all of you can see it, 
Um, I think that's the only one here, but almost every statue or picture of the Buddha is touching the ground. And this in the, in the suttas and the stories, the, the reason for that is right before the Buddha's awakening, Mara, who's sort of the, the temptress or, or the hindrances, basically, the hindrances it, it, metaphorically, it's like, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? You, you can't be free from suffering. You don't deserve this. Who do you think you are? And the Buddha actually touches the earth and says, Mara, I see you. I see you. I belong here. And so that's what that is, is doubt. That doubt you're having about being here, that doubt you're having about the practice. That's, that is the, the, sometimes I wish I was more articulate. It'd be so much easier. That's the whatever, the visual of, <laughs> of I will not accept doubt, right? So if you're feeling that, you know, what would it be like to touch the earth, to say, I belong here. Actually, I, I actually deserve freedom. I deserve liberation. I deserve to get off of this wheel of samsara. I'm going to touch the earth. Piece of advice. So mindfulness, mindfulness, this thing that we're doing, actually is one of the key methods to helping us see clearly the hindrances, see clearly the hindrances so that we can then prevent the hindrances. I spent one of my, one of my, the retreats, that, one of the retreats that I remember the most, I spent half of that retreat having just like pornographic fantasies. That's all that I had. Like it was like pornographic fantasies or then violent like images <laughs> of children being killed. Like, so I was having this really intense retreat of like pornography. Oh, that's so fun. I love these fantasies. Oh, I can't wait to get home and tell my partner. Like, I can't wait to do, right? So I spent a whole, like all this time off in those fantasies, a lot of delusion. I was not thinking clearly. (laughs) I had so many great ideas. (laughs) And then the other half was just like violence, aggression, pain, you know, just like avert, like all of these things were going on. And what was so amazing about that retreat is I could see how it wasn't allowing me to get anywhere near my heart, that's for sure. It wasn't allowing me to get anywhere near reality, that was for sure. But what came out of that, what came out of both of those states, because I started applying mindfulness and I started applying the right level of attention and effort. So I went, oh, interesting, Joanna. Okay, this is what the mind is doing. Not your fault. The mind's doing this. But, but what is my fault? What is in my jurisdiction is what I do with it next. What I then do, because we have these, these two types of thoughts, and I brought it up in one of my groups today, these two types of thoughts, these what we call volitional and then non-volitional thoughts. Volitional, non-volitional ways of thinking. So the non-volitional thoughts are the ones that, have you noticed that you'll just have thoughts and you're like, where did that come from? haven't thought of that for a really long time or I don't even own that, doesn't belong to me, just a thought drops in, drops in. Non-volitional. 
when it becomes volitional is when we say, oh, okay, cool, interesting thought. What am I going to do with it? And we'll either like judge ourselves through it or we'll pick it up and create a story. And then it becomes part of our next reality. Has that happened? Right, where something will drop in. And what we could do, and I want to I talk about what those are. I'm going to talk about it really quickly. Um, what we could do, because in the, in the Buddhist paradigm, we have what's called the six sense doors. Not only five, but six. And we can name the five, right? Which is seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling. And then thinking is also considered a sense door. So when we think about our sense doors... When we see something, like, uh, okay, I look at that candle, I can see it, right? Candle being seen. I'm not mad at myself because I saw that candle. I'm not mad at myself if I smell something, even if I don't like it, because it's just happening, right? But sometimes a thought will come in. So thoughts come in in the same way that seeing something, smelling something, tasting something comes in. They just come in. Not your fault. Thoughts come in. If I see that candle and I suddenly, why, why is it white? Like, God, they could have picked red and that would have been so much better. Okay, then that's the volitional thinking kicking in. And suddenly, I have some ownership of it. If I just see it for what it is, non-volitional, okay, I can just leave it there. So when we look at right effort, there, there are, when we look at first, I'm going to talk about the prevention. When we look at prevention of where we put our energy, prevention. One of the ways of preventing these unwholesome or unhelpful states is through our sense doors. And I, oftentimes I, I like to call them doormen, right? Like I have doormen <laughs> to my sense doors. And I don't know if any of you have been to the club, but there's usually doormen at the club. And these doormen decide who gets in and who doesn't, right? And so at my club, the club of my mind, (laughs) these doormen are really important because these doormen get to say to me, hey, wait a minute, you're just seeing that. Actually, you don't get to come in. You're harmful. You might not do me right right? I see you're there, but you actually don't get to come in. I hear you, but you're not coming in, right? So there's this way that prevention is really knowing that our sense doors, our sense doors are our view of the world. It's how we let the world in or not. That's how the sense doors come in. And then once, they co- it, once the world comes in through our sense doors, then the mind has, does its thing. It does its proliferation. It creates whatever reality it does. But one of the ways that we can prevent harmful thinking or harmful energy, effort, is through really guarding our sense doors. Does that make sense? One of my one of my favorite um, 
This is this has gone around the Dharma scene so many times that I think by now for you guys this is probably vintage. This story is probably vintage, so you may not have heard it. Um, all of you up here probably have, but it's one of my favorite sort of ways of looking at prevention. Yeah. Okay, I'm, let me finish my talk. That's okay. No, it's a good question. I'm glad that you're thinking about it. Um, but let me finish this, and then and then let's see. Like maybe you'll come with it, come with the answer for yourself, right? So we're looking the, at this idea of prevention. One of the ways is through the sense doors. Actually, before I tell this story, I'm going to go through different ways of preventing. One is through the sense doors. One is through paying a lot of attention to what we're doing and how we're doing it how we're moving through the world, right? Just like heightened sense of mindfulness. Another is, um, do, you, do you have like the kind of friends that you know that if you hang out with them, they're going to put you in a bad mood? Do you have those kind of friends? Like friends that are just like always negative or always you get in trouble all the time that you're with them or you know just or or a place that you go that you just know you know the outcome right so there's this way I see a lot of smiles that you understand what I'm talking about so but but sometimes we decide okay I'm gonna do it anyway right I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway even though I know (laughs) I'm gonna suffer for it later it's just inevitable so, the, so there's a lot of discernment that's needed. Where are we going? What are we doing? What's our goal? What's our aim? Right? Where, what are we doing? And so here's, here's this story. It's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. This is a great prevention story. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault, and I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. (laughs) Prevention. You know, so one of the things I I really love about mindfulness and this practice is really it's like a, it's a prophylactic device. You know what that word means, right? <laughs> it's a preventative device. A lot of times people will say to me, "Okay, well I'm having a really hard time. How can I use mindfulness to get out of it?" Right? It's like, "Okay, well let's use the practice before" really strengthen our practice so that we have a lot more wisdom around how to not walk down that street, right? It is my fault. 
I know how to get out. I walk down a different street. Okay, so that's the first one, prevention. The second one is to abandon. So once we find ourselves there, then what? Okay, we're in the hole. You're in the hole of the thinking. You didn't quite prevent it. The thought arose. You're in it. You're ruminating. You're obsessed. Here I am. Now what? I'm on this retreat and I can't stop thinking about it. So one of my stories, it was actually at this retreat center and I went into one of my one-on-one, we called them interviews at the time. Now we call them discussions. Um, I went into a one-on-one one and I was obsessing about somebody. I I was in hardcore obsession. And I was kind of mad about it because I was like, you know, I paid for this retreat and this person is like sitting on the cushion with me all the time, right? Like this is not a twofer. I did not pay for you to be here. Yet here you are. Like you're eating the meals with me. You're laying in the bed with me. You're everywhere with me. This isn't cool, right? I was just completely in that spit. You know what I'm talking about anyone that's like been hurt or like obsessed by somebody you know what I'm talking about so I just I went into my teacher and I told her about it I said I don't know what to do and she said to me well just stop it (laughs) I was like what (laughs) she said yeah stop it and I was kind of like oh I didn't know I could do that and so every time that person like sat on the cushion next to me or had a meal with me. I was like, you don't get to be here actually. And every time that thought arose, where my energy and effort went was to saying, no, not right now. You don't get to be here. Has anybody had a little a sibling younger than them <laughs> or anybody that's an annoyance, anything that's an annoyance, even a bug, Right. Sometimes we just have to say, not right now. Temple spoke to it this morning um, about the get, I, the get, you know, the guests, not right now. I see you, but not right now. So that's one way when something arises. So we're going to try to prevent, right? We're going to try to prevent from arising. If it arises, we're going to work on abandoning it. One of the ways is to ignore it. Whether this is emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain. Another way is to distract ourselves. So find another aspect in our experience that's actually happening, not a fantasy, not something that's not real, but something that's actually neutral in our experience. So if the mind is obsessing or if there's an intense pain in our body, where else can we find in our experience that's actually okay right now? Well, you know what? My big toe is actually okay right now. Can I hang out there for a little while? My earlobe is okay right now, right? So just a, a sort of a, a way of redirecting our attention to somewhere else. Another way of abandoning, um, so, so the one I was telling you about just to stop thinking about it is we call it through clenched teeth. If any of us have ever had like an addiction or a strong desire to hurt ourselves and we know we just can't, sometimes we have to just say no, absolutely not right now. Right? So I will not allow myself, I will completely abandon this harmful thought, this way of thinking, this way of being, this possible action that could cause me harm. That's not useful. That's not wholesome that's not helpful 
right now. There's uh, one of my favorite stories. I think about it often. It's about this orangutan that was in a lab. And this orangutan was in multiple labs and multiple labs passed this orangutan around because every time a lab had this orangutan, it would escape. And when it escaped, what was really interesting is it would get out of its cage. The only reason they knew that was because they'd come back to the office the next day and everything would be turned upside down. The desks, the chairs, the papers would be all over the place, but the orangutan was in the cage and they couldn't figure it out. Something's going on here. So they put these cameras in. So when they went away and they came back and they started watching the video footage and this orangutan had a paper clip that it kept in its cheek. And so it put it in its cheek and every night when everyone left, it would unlock the cage, it would get out, it would go wild, it would wily itself out, right? It would have fun, it would play. But the interesting thing was the orangutan would then put itself back in the cage and put the paper clip back in its mouth. And why I find that story interesting is what the orangutan could have done was escape completely, right? It could have freed itself completely, but it kept putting itself back in the cage. Momentarily go out, but go back in the cage. So how often do we do that? How often do we put ourselves back in our limited cage? I like to try to stay really current with my references, but you all know who Bob Marley is? Do you, would that be fair to say? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like time to go. But one of my favorite lines is, you know, free yourself from inner slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. And it's so like, oh yeah, how often do we not allow ourselves to abandon our our own cage, the way that we enslave ourselves. When we know there's a way out, we have the paperclip. You all have the paperclip. I'm telling you that right now. You have the paperclip. And the paperclip, you know, I'm not trying to sell it, but the paperclip is this practice. It's this practice of mindfulness. So watch the ways that you keep putting yourself back in. And so then the next thing that we, the, the, the third way of right effort, so one is to prevent, one is to abandon. The next is to cultivate, right? So, okay, we haven't prevented it. Here we are stuck in it. How do we put it down? Sometimes we have to just put it down. Sometimes we have to push it away. Sometimes we have to distract ourselves. And then another way is to cultivate that which is good, so like this practice that we did today, you know, this, this Brahma Vihara practice is one of the ways that we can cultivate a heart that is helpful, a heart that can free us from that cage that we put ourselves in often. So really looking towards what's wise, what's, I mean, how many of you here, I'm just going to say it out loud, the fact that you're even here is a privilege right? You know that, right? Like there's lots of people that do not have the privilege of getting to do something like this. This is a privileged place that we are in. 
and a privileged state. So that means there's something you did right to get yourselves here. All of you have worked hard in some way. And so we know how when we cultivate that which is important to us, that which we're passionate about, it grows. Right? When we really want something, we know how to get it. And so what's it like to cultivate in the direction, as we call it, forward leading, the direction of freedom? Right? We can cultivate in all kinds of ways. We can cultivate towards a lot of things. And it, and it might not always feel super liberating. Sometimes what we're cultivating actually traps us more. It creates more of a cage. So paying attention, where are you putting your energy? Into who are you putting your energy? Into what are you putting your energy? Is it something that makes you excited to wake up in the morning for? Do you feel like you have a choice? Do you feel beholden? So really pay attention to causality, to cause and effect. Where I put my attention is what will grow. And Temple talked about it this morning in terms of, you know, yes, the tomato seeds, we're in the process, we're doing that. But ultimately, if we plant something, that is what's going to grow. We can't be surprised if something else comes of it. And then, and then the last thing is to maintain, right? So here we are. I'm sorry if I keep going over this, but I just, I want you to be able to use this throughout the week. Watch what, what we're preventing. So if, even if there's something on this land, this retreat center, like let's say you have what we call a Vipassana vendetta towards somebody, like there's somebody that just really annoys you, but you find yourself gravitated towards that person so that you can have this experience of annoyance, Okay, let's prevent that. Let's like make some space, right? So how can we prevent? How when it's there can we abandon? What can we start to cultivate and look at while we're here? And then, like I said, any of you that have worked hard for something, the maintenance of that thing is important. The maintenance of a relationship, the maintenance of a workout, the maintenance of a job, the maintenance of a new language, the maintenance. I remember when I decided, I'm going to learn how to play the piano. I am going to do that. I bought a piano. I put it in my living room. I hired a piano teacher. I did all this stuff. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't practice the piano. I just was like, but I want to play. I really, really wanted to play. And I fantasized about playing because I love throwing parties and I fantasized about playing at my parties and we'd all stand around and sing you know and but I was missing multiple steps which was like (laughs) the actual cultivation of the learning how to play it whereas I have a son who's a brilliant musician and he gets to sit down and just play right so for him the maintenance of that is just that he gets to have the joy of playing it He gets to sit down and play the piano. And so when we look at what can we maintain, what's good in your life? Like what's good? What was good today about your retreat? Sometimes we pay a lot of attention to what's not good, what's not working, what's hard. And we forget to pay attention to, oh, that was actually quite beautiful. That was actually quite useful. That was actually quite nice. 
So the maintenance aspect of our effort is really to allow yourself to pay attention to that which is working. It doesn't have to be heightened states of, you know, it does not have to be like, I saw colors and I floated. Like that's not what even we're looking for here. But how is their ease? How is their peace? How is their calm? How is their kindness? How is their spaciousness? And just allowing that to be and grow. You know, I know so many people that when things are good, they're like, what's wrong? (laughs) Right? Things are too easy. What's wrong? But what's it like just to go, oh, this is easeful. If only for a few moments, if only for a breath. So this balance of effort, this balance of of where we are, how we let ourselves fall, how we pick ourselves up, how we cultivate, how we maintain. And, you know, again, back to my pragmatic mind. Once I, I got into this practice, and I don't, I'm going to use this word, but I don't love it. But like there was actually no one to blame or put the responsibility on, but myself. And like I really saw how, yeah, there's a lot I can't control out there all, a lot. And that's a whole other Dharma talk that I love to give. And there are places that I have jurisdiction. There are places that I, things that I can control. And that's this, this aspect, how I'm going to see, how I'm going to view, what I'm going to do with my internal experience. So just an encouragement to know that this, this, this practice has a lot of personal empowerment, has a lot of personal empowerment that then helps us to be able to engage clearly with everything that's going on outside of us. So if you don't remember anything else from this talk, but prevent, abandon, cultivate, maintain, right? And just watch how you walk through your day. Where do I let myself fall into the hole? Where can I pull myself back out? What can I really work towards growing? And then what what do I already have? that I can just keep paying attention to um, that helps me live in a way, in a wise way, in wise relationship to the rest of the world. So that's all I have to say. It was a lot. Let's just sit for a couple minutes.
So check out this beautiful night. See what you can cultivate. Um, eyes wide open in this beauty. And we'll see you back in here at 9 o'clock for sitting and chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.